0: So, the first time we tried recording this podcast, I uh, thanked Nathan, because it was his turn to do a cold open, and I didn't have a cold open planned, Um, and then my Wi-Fi cut out, and then the fire alarm went off, (laughs) I was like, like texting Nathan, I was like, I don't know what's going on, we've lost power in the building, and uh, yeah, Nathan texted me and said, well
1: we've got a cold open now. <laughs> we've got a cold open. That's not just a shameless plug for my first lecture. You can still do that's we You have.
0: can give, give us a little, you know, plug us up. Go for
1: it. Hey, July 16th. I'm going to be sending out a link on my Instagram. Go follow me at Nathan underscore himself. And there's going to be a full workshop. Me, Timon Kraus and a bunch of other guys getting together, teaching about mentalism to raise money for some of my mom's medical bills. So, Aww. Uh, more information on that coming on Instagram.
0: You redeemed yourself by mentioning the medical bills because I, I think I, in my head I was like, oh, I need to write the cold open next time because this is not a good cold open.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, though it's still a shameless plug. It's the American, uh, fuck the American healthcare system. That's the name of the workshop. Oh, you know what,
0: man? I went and I um, I landed in the UK yesterday. I called at eight am for a doctor's appointment. I got one the same day. I went at five. I saw a doctor. It was great. It cost me nothing. I was. Overjoyed. All
1: right, let's just get to the podcast. Okay, I'm not hearing all this. You know what,
0: though, <laughs> the GP did Google stuff in front of me, though, which is which is not that ins- uh, reassuring when they're just using Google, <laughs> all-
1: like uh, WebMD. They're like WebMD. Uh, I, I think you got brain cancer. But- I
0: thought she was going to search like you know a doctor thing or uh, or maybe she'd search like an NHS thing. But then she just opened Google and starts googling the shit that I've been googling before I even got there. It was weird. Ugh. All right. Well, it, also, if Nathan sounds terrible, it's not because he's done well; it's because he's using his phone. Because we've also had the worst time of our lives trying to get this podcast. This is a cursed <laughs> podcast. Everything from your mom's medical uh. bills to the fire alarm, the building going out, and the the podcasting issues. But here we go, guys. We're going to do it. We're going to roll the roll the titles. <laughs> let's
1: let's do it. <laughs>
0: I'm Rory, I am the editor of One Ahead.
1: I'm Nathan, I'm One Ahead's content producer.
0: On this month's show...
1: How famous magicians make money.
0: How Gaia Elisa Rossi uses eye contact to create more magical experiences.
1: We have a video essay on what makes Penn & Teller absolute geniuses.
0: And what exactly David Blaine does to make his magic so unbelievably good.
1: Oh, and we also have upcoming shows from Ben Hart and Darren Brown.
0: Woohoo! Let's do it! So, uh, what's our first story, Nathan? Uh,
1: well, we have a great story uh, called This is How Famous Magicians Make Money. Valuable Insights. And there are valuable insights.
0: We should probably find out how magic writers can earn more money, too.
1: I think we're in the research and development phase of that. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs>
0: That really caught me off guard because the first time we tried to record this, you did not make that joke. Um, yeah, <laughs> We're doing all right. We're doing okay. Uh, feel free to subscribe, oneahead.com, uh, and, and, and help us. Anyway, um, the full story is available at One Ahead, but we should dive into it. It's a paid post, so we can't dive in too much. But essentially, it's about the ways that famous magicians make money and how they basically make money in ways that you... You wouldn't necessarily expect it's kind of uh it's kind of surprising right what did you think reading it
1: yeah i mean it's definitely some great insights because even if you're not a famous magician with a tv show you can still take some of the lessons from this article and apply it to yourself so like one of the biggest things is like really cornering a market at where you can be the best and marketing towards that
0: yeah 100 percent. i think that the the biggest misconception for for tv magicians is that they make money doing tv and uh none of them do the only people i can think of who have made money from tv they've never really made money since like most big name magicians Mm -hmm. lose money on their tv shows and they're basically treating it as marketing, because you are never going to have a better chance to be in front of so many eyeballs, but also have complete control over the story you are telling, the quality of the magic, the edit, your brand. Um, you know, you can tell the story a lot better, basically. So, I think that's the biggest misconception for sure is that these magicians are not really making money on TV. It doesn't really tend to be that way.
1: Yeah, and then also like me and you were discussing uh, previously about like the do it for exposure thing. Mm. And, like, there's some caveats to that. Like, obviously, you want to make sure you have the right exposure, that there's actual benefits that come from doing it. But, like, that's also a big thing where it's once you have that niche, use other platforms that may have a bigger reach than yours to kind of market yourself and brand yourself that way uh, so you can get these private gigs, so you can go out and perform for the audiences you want to perform for. I think magicians are getting more switched onto
0: it, though, and I think it's because of. Shows like Fool Us and there there are lots of shows and got talent. Mm -hmm. This idea of doing something for exposure is definitely something people are getting more and more into. And I, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. get paid where you should get paid. Um, but these shows wouldn't exist. Fool Us would not exist if they paid the guests the the show doesn't make enough money. They, they, They would die. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no, one of the biggest things that shocked me when I started working for TV magicians is just how often they're doing favors for other celebrities or for channels, or for, you know, if a brand, they're getting paid. If it's um, a billionaire's <laughs> birthday party, they're getting paid. But if it's a member of One yeah. Direction, such and such, they'll do it for free because they know they'll, they'll kind of come back around to them kind of thing. So that's like one of the biggest yeah. things. And then the, the biggest thing as well is, just, is I think it's like two, there's two real real takeaways. One of them is like follow the money. You know, mm-hmm. these big name magicians – they're making a lot of money and a lot of it is from private parties and corporate events and they tend to be in big cities and they tend to be uh with just clients who have a lot of money you know like this is the thing like yeah you know yes if you want to make a lot of money doing magic you could book 200 weddings in uh county in the UK or you could be in London or New York or somewhere and prioritize corporate yeah. clients and, and those high-paying private events. And I think the thing when I was researching the story, I kept going back to this post that we shared, I think, last year from Lee Warren, which is all about how to value yourself as a magician. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think the thing that really stands out to me, because there, there are magicians who use the exact same formula that these famous magicians are doing, who aren't famous. You know, I can think of some right now who have moved to these mm-hmm. big big cities and they've prioritized these high-paying clients. And I think a lot of it just comes down to valuing yourself. And I think it's like, if you come to terms with the fact and you say, I am worth, you know, for example, 3000 $3,000 and I shouldn't be going out the house for less than $3,000. Most people aren't going to find that easy to tell themselves that. But if you really convince yourself and you go, you know what, no, screw it. I am worth $3,000. I'm not leaving the house for less than $3,000. And if you really believe that, well, then you start to go, okay, well, how am I going to make that happen? Who are the clients who are going to pay that? What do Mm -hmm. I need to be doing to command that kind of fee? Like, what value should I be providing? And all of the kind of like ducks fall in a row you know what I mean like I think that's where like the starting point is is like deciding right I this is the amount I I should be charging what do I need to do to make that happen where do I need to go and I think that's kind of the starting point and I know that it's going to annoy people listening to this you know I wrote I wrote the article about Uh, about making more money last year, and I got a few people saying some of these things you've suggested are just not easy, it's not easy to move or whatever. And that's fine, you don't have to move, but I think that like it's I I know magicians who are making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that people have never heard of, they're not famous, and it's just because they've gone, actually, you know what, in order to do that, I need to be charging this much per gig. How do I charge this much per gig? How do I find those clients? Where are they? Mm -hmm. And all that kind of
1: stuff. Um, it goes back to that advice that Steve Martin gives in his book "Born Standing Up." You have to be in pointing distance. You have to be where you're, the clients you want. You have to be in their eyesight. Yeah, you have to be pointing distance away from them. Did you? And it.
0: Sorry, go on. Keep going. Keep going.
1: <laughs> I, I, I just want to say, like, I mean, Steve Martin is arguably one of the biggest stand-up comedians of all time, and he started off as a magician. Uh, this is a little fun fact, but like, I think that advice, like, as a writer, it also holds true for like us we need to be in the meetings in the places where people who are looking for writers are going to be at like that advice is just universal, but especially for magicians, if you want those clients that are going to fly you out, you have to be in their line of sight. You have to kind of market yourself where if they want the best mind reader in Evansville, Indiana, you need to be that. Mm -hmm. If you need to be like you, you have to kind of narrow your focus And instead of having such a broad focus, like one of my biggest pet peeves are people who don't have a clear brand. Their brand is they're the magic guy. And it's like, there's you're, you're a dime of a dozen versus someone like Darren Brown. He's the psychological illusionist. Yeah.
0: You want to be the best Um, X and X. That was a big takeaway from the article of like, you want to be the best magician in New York, the best mind reader in the UK, whatever that, that thing is. That's how you command the high rates. Um, the, the, that book by Steve Martin, someone just recommended that. We we did these interviews with magicians on One Ahead. Did Ben Seidman recommend that? Someone recommended that recently, didn't they?
1: I, I think I think Ben Seidman recommended it. Um well, it I'd have to go Wes. back and look.
0: But I don't know. But it, when you said that, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's how you you know. But I need to read it. I've never read it.
1: No, I just love Steve Martin. I just love Steve Martin so much. Yeah. I, some takeaways from my perspective is like you know,
0: I'm not really money obsessed, but I. I like to free up time so I can write my own stuff, basically. Like, I'm trying to write a book this year. And so almost all my money decisions are based off this idea of, like, well, how do I free up time to write? And in terms of, like, me and, like, we were talking about magic writers at the start of this, but, like, there are two ways that I can make money writing magic tricks. And the one way is to charge a lot of money to write on TV shows, which I do, and it's great, but mm-hmm. it's inconsistent. Um you always you don't know when the next one's going to come in because especially you know with TV as well. But that's great and that's one way to do it. And the other way is to charge not very much money but do it at scale, which is kind of what we're doing with One Ahead with subscriptions. So instead of me yeah. charging eight hundred a thousand dollars a day to write on a magic TV show, I can charge ten dollars a month. But I'm charging you know hundreds to thousands of people. That yeah. kind of that's kind of the those are kind of like. You know, yeah. you have to sit down and do the math and go, okay, how do I make money doing this? Who are the clients? Where are they? How mm-hmm. do we find them? And even yeah. then, like a lot and of – And
1: especially like – I was going to say, especially when you're looking at a performance rate, it's uh, – some of the clients that I work with, they mainly do theatrical shows in theaters, doing mind reading, magic, and all of that. Like one conversation I've had with a lot of them is like, okay, if we're going to do a tour, what, what cities are we going to? How are we going to market to that city? Mm. Like it's once again, figuring out a formula of making people care and making people want to show up and making people want to see you. Like I, ultimately this whole article really gives insights on how to build that brand and definitely how to make money in ways that you're probably not thinking of.
0: And people, I just to jump in on that, people have this misconception as well that like I think the number one consistent way that big name magicians are making money is from corporate clients and private parties. Like putting on a tour is great once it's up and running, but it's a lot of money to get it started. And it's a bit of a gamble and mm-hmm. stuff, but you want to know how often these big, these famous magicians are getting paid 60 to a hundred thousand dollars to go and do someone's birthday or bar mitzvah. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, it it's money for nothing, you know, they the transport's covered for them, they arrive, they do their five card tricks for
1: an hour, and they get paid like a fortune. It's it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's literally crazy. I, I I, do think we need to move on to the next story. But if you want to hear more about this stuff, you can go to visit com. And there's also a great article in Magic Musings, which you can once again buy at onehead.com called You Only Need Five Tricks and Five Clients. I think that touches on very similar themes and very high praise from some of the biggest names in Magic today. Oh, um
0: yeah cool let's move along because we
1: yep. are on a roll <laughs> <laughs> yes we are uh it, it feels good it feels good for it not to be completely cursed um our following two stories come from the wonderful roman armstrong uh who covers the news and we have two shows debuting later this year
0: um nathan you'll be delighted to know both of these
1: performers have lovely british accents yeah, my favourite accent. There is no you in the way I say favourite, though.
0: Um, um. That's a problem, because I have to correct it every time you write an article <laughs> for us. <laughs> so, two news stories. Uh, they're news stories, not new. They're news stories, uh, titled Darren Brown's new live show is Missing Something, and did you know this about Ben Hart's new stage show? Um, let's start with Darren's show. What do you think, Nathan? Have you ever seen Darren live?
1: I have not seen Darren live. Wow. Uh, I was going to, and then yeah, because he was up in New York doing his uh, Broadway. Yeah, and and Broadway, I had plans. I, yeah, so I had plans to go up and visit him. So, uh, some stuff fell through, but no, I have not seen him live. But I have seen every one of the TV specials and live shows he's ever put out on video. Um, to say I'm a Darren Brown fan is a huge understatement. Mm. Um, but his new show is exciting for me because. He's definitely taking a path that I'm more drawn to, and he's directing a show. Um, Yeah, he's not
0: in it. That's the headline. That's the spoiler alert. Yeah, he's not in it. Darren Brown is not Uh, in his next West End show. Basically,
1: yeah. And, in it's like it's kind of like the um, I know he did the uh, roller coaster ghost train kind of thing a while back, and this is very much Darren Brown doing what Darren Brown does best, and it's directing people it's creating a magical experience for others and he's not the center of attention because like some of my favorite tv shows that he's done that's very much the the hook that he's secretly controlling stuff behind the scenes while other stuff happens
0: mm. yeah it's, it's this one's a difficult one for me because i've worked with darren's team a lot in the past so i it's difficult for me to know what i know that isn't is publicly available and not just stuff that I would get in trouble for saying out loud, kind of thing. From what I know, they've we know the name of the show and publicly the cast have been announced. Uh, Simon Lipkins in it. Um, yep, I know who's working. Uh, yeah, there's it's it's tough to know what I kind of got to say. They've been working on this for like a long, long time, so I think just broad strokes, looking yeah. back from like a wider perspective. I'm shocked that no one's done this already. Like, especially Copperfield. I've been expecting Copperfield to do this for years and years and years and years. Because I mean, how old is David Copperfield now? He's not young. <laughs> He's not <laughs> that young. That's a good answer. That is a good <laughs> answer. But I'm so surprised that there isn't like a David Copperfield directed experience in in Vegas. Like it, you know, I don't know. I always remember um dynamo's manager dan albion he used to always say like it's a great quote i don't know if it's his but it was like every man should dream of making money in their sleep and it, and <laughs> uh so i'm surprised that like someone like copperfield or pen or whatever they haven't managed to like get a show off the ground that's super successful that doesn't have the minute i know pen and teller have done teller teller's wrong and they've directed some stuff but yeah. I don't know, I just feel like it's I'm surprised that nothing's like blown up in the way that I kind of
1: expected it to And maybe this goes back to yeah, and maybe this goes back to what Darren has said in a few interviews that magic is a way to be the center of attention and to get one over on the guys who would bully you. Mm. Right. And now as Darren has progressed, and I really do think Darren is a once in a lifetime kind of talent, um, what he's done so well is uh, as far as the TV goes, slowly pull himself back. And now he's doing that on stage. And I think that Darren does not have... And I don't know Darren personally. I've never worked with Darren. Although it is a dream of mine. Um, I I just don't feel like he has that performer's ego that goes along with it. I feel like he's far less interested in being the center of attention. Mm. Um, So maybe that's something. I just know that as someone who I've directed shows, I've wrote shows, um, to know that Darren's doing the same thing, it gives me even more motivation to do that. And And the performers that they've announced uh simon being one of them like it's going to be amazing so uh yeah, and it's like it's, yeah it's going to be awesome it's
0: it's it's, it's going to be a proper show with magic it's pro- I, oh god i don't know how much i can i can can't say but i'm very excited it'll be interesting yeah. how it goes i really hope it's a success um and uh and yeah and his book comes out soon so that will bloody sell out very quickly um how are you feeling about oh, yeah. uh ben hart do you like uh uh I can't remember who wrote dude, the article about ben ben. Hart. It might have been Roman. It might have been Max. Um,
1: yeah. He's great. But Ben Hart, dude, he's so good. Like, like seeing parts of the show, but also, like, he, he released a book with Vanishing Ink, uh, Darkest Corners, a few years back. And, like, truly, mm. that book is a such a different perspective on theatrical magic. Mm. And, like... Like, the way he thinks about things, the way he rediscovers ideas, and, yeah, Ben Hart is a phenomenal talent, and uh, his new show is about his love of India and kind of his journey exploring that, which apparently is a very common theme for magicians, uh, so I, I think it's going to be awesome.
0: Yeah, I think the thing I always think about Ben is, like, he he puts on a show, like, and it's, it's like, it's always very theatrical, um, you know, I think of like Darren as being like the theatre person when it comes to like magic. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's a piece of theatre when you see Darren's show live. And, you know, yeah. Ben is very theatrical. I, I've seen his shows before at The Fringe. I'll see this when it comes out at The Fringe. Um, and I think, you know, I think he's really got this kind of like. Uh, he's got it down, you know. New show at The Fringe, tour it for a year. New show at The Fringe, tour it for a year. It's, it's, it's really impressive that he's he's able to you know, find the momentum to do that. Um, and it's not an easy feat. Like, you know, Pete Furman, I don't know if he's at the fringe this year. I'm, I'm sure he is, but he, my God, when I saw him at the fringe, it was something like his 15th fringe. Like imagine having to come up with 15 hours of show every year. Like it's, it's really, really, really impressive. And Ben's very good. Yeah. At like Ben's very good at making very small tweaks or very interesting theatrical choices. Um, to do with transitions
1: or lighting or story mm-hmm. devices. Um, and his magic, his magic seems very unique. I, I, I can't get over that. And like, I want to stress that to the listeners that if you go see Ben show, please don't steal any ideas, right? <laughs> don't be one of those people. Like, but also it's like take inspiration because like he can do a trick that maybe we all own, right? Like talking about like taking a, a trick off the shelf and like he can do that, but he's going to make it uniquely his own. That has his style, his brand, his image, and his ideas attached to it. The so, thing about
0: Ben, though, is it's never a trick off the shelf. It's a trick he found in a book from the nineteen thirties. You know what I mean? Like he, he yes, absolutely, he digs out the gold. But I think it's like you're right in that. Like I haven't really thought about this before, but like when I think about my favorite thing, one like there are two favorite things that he's done. One of them involved like a sound transition, but the other one, he just turned the lights off. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that was I it. love it, but that was like enough for it to feel completely different and unique and be like you're like honing in on him and having you give him like your full attention and it's 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 interesting because i you know I do a lot of work, and in my creativity seminar, I talk about mm-hmm. you know combining tricks, changing tricks, changing the object, and Ben just has this like really clever way of just adding theater and you know lighting, sound, storytelling, where he is, you know, maybe he'll just be like in the audience and not yeah. like, or, or, you know, or just very small theatrical devices that make tricks feel completely unique to him. It's, it's, it's a real talent. It's really impressive.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is we're gushing about Darren, we're gushing about Ben, but like we're always hearing new news, new news, I guess is a phrase I can use. New news. Um, and, and new news and you can always check out the latest news in magic, in the magic industry and in performers over at whereoneahead.com. Yeah.
0: You can actually go to the news tab, which i which is in the tags, but I might add it as a, in the header as well. But every Friday, um, Oh God, is this public? I'm sure this is public because Romans posted. Oh God. Anyway, Roman is only posting once every two weeks now because he's working on a new show. You can figure out what show it is. <laughs> Um, but but Max is So Max is stepping up So they're, they're taking it one week at a time But normally it's it's Roman And Roman's very good at writing the news He's really good So that comes out every Friday on oneahead.com um, Yeah, our next story is from a new columnist uh, Gaia Elisa Rossi um, Yeah
1: Well, for, first of all The only reason I was familiar with her Is because she did an interview last week
0: She did These are the interviews we were talking about earlier There's interviews with Bao uh keith barry francis Minotti, um a bunch of other people and that's on the interviews tab at oneahead.com
1: and like what i love about the interviews before we get into a guy's amazing uh, article um I i just the interviews are some of the best things on that site uh i know i'm biased but truly some of the best stuff because it's little nuggets from some of your favorite performers. Um, yeah, there's, but there's,
0: Gaia, she shared. There's funny questions, but the the my favorite question that everyone answers is their book recommendations. I feel like you can learn a lot about people from their book recommendations. And also it's kind of oh, like, yeah. I don't know if you like a performer and, and reading the books they recommend is always like worthwhile. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, but going back to the main uh, article, uh, Gaia shares her uh, knowledge in psychology with How to Enhance Your Magic with Your Eyes, Revealed.
0: Yeah, it's all about uh, simple tricks. Uh, tricks is probably the wrong word. Uh, techniques, I guess, tools that you can use your eyes to enhance the trick. The basic setup is really interesting, which is basically if two magicians perform the same trick, one exactly the same way to exactly the same person, let's just assume in alternative realities, there's not like this potatoes in it twice, You can get a better reaction if you're the magician who is using your eyes effectively. And I should flag that Mm -hmm. this post, I decided to make it free. So anyone can read it for free at oneahead.com. Which means that we can also talk about it a little bit more openly. Um, Oh, yeah. People love this article. Um, It got, like, way more comments than than we would normally get. What did you think of it?
1: I thought it was really interesting because... um, it's so the first time I ever realized how big the eyes tell in magic is from Juan Timothy, his, uh, uh five points in magic. He has a whole thing on uh, using your eyes for misdirection and all that. And and a lot of that was based off his experience. And now we have someone who has a background in psychology, actually enhancing that that world view on eye contact and using eye contact to misdirect, using eye contact to create a connection with your uh, participant, uh, really interesting stuff, uh, that you can definitely tell that has been learned, not just through psychology books, but also through hard learned performance. Hmm.
0: And she's really good. Cause she gives really good examples. But one of the first things I remember learning when I was very young was if you don't want someone to look at your hands while you're doing sleight of hand, you just look them in the eye. Like if you look up, they will look up as well. So if you're both looking at your hands and you look up, they'll look up as well. Instinctively doesn't work as so well with kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with adults because they've learned to do that it kind of works really well yeah just like reading some of this stuff the best form of eye contact is non contin not continuous but somewhat intermittent mm-hmm. moments of eye contact yep. should alternate with moments of looking away the average preferred duration of eye contact is three seconds and definitely no more than nine yep. seconds um there's lots of pretty. Really, it's just. It's like. It's just like. I don't know. Whenever I read stuff that's written from someone who's actually studied like science and psychology, there's something so mm-hmm. satisfying about like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. All these kind of small things. Yeah. Um. It's it's
1: it's well, like it's unlocked a core memory to me. Like reading her article unlocked a core memory for me. Um. So when I was much younger, I was friends with Jay Noble azada mm. And and Jay, he was the first person to be like, okay. I'm gonna teach you the bubble gum, the bubble gum technique. You have to imagine when you're making eye contact with someone, there's like a piece of bubble gum attached to your guy's eyes, so you can look away, but your head's gonna be pulled back to their eyes. Mm. And I was like, I was like 15 when I learned that, and and that goes back to her point on intermittent eye contact, so I can look away and then come back to your eyes. Well, my, and um, my
0: favorite part of this article was about rehearsing with like I'm going to say eye markers guys says puppets. <laughs> and I just have this vision of all these magicians practicing <laughs> with puppets. But you know, I think about all the times I've been in rehearsal rooms with people and how much it changes things when me or someone else jumps up and pretends to be spectators. Um, mm-hmm. because then they suddenly have somewhere to look and focus. And a lot of magicians probably who are listening to this, they're probably rehearsing by themselves. They don't have that team around them. And you know, if you're not rehearsing with those eye markers, places to look, so it's not just, you know, do you, you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, if you just to have, like, an invisible person, yeah. like, choose a card and you're practicing, or if you're practicing sleight of hand yeah. and stuff, you're not getting used to where you're looking with your eyes. And you see it sometimes in videos yeah. mm-hmm. of close-up magicians performing. I mean, Blaine's great at this, and, and we'll, I think we'll talk about Blaine yeah. in the podcast, but, like, he's so attentive and looks uh, looks at people all the time. Um yeah. Let me read the comments real quick on this one because I think they kind of work it. Um, Edward Albert uh, Duarte, I think. Excellent, excellent advice that applies to all of life. And then David Ranalli says, great article. The eyes are a superpower in their own right. The eyes should help lead the Mm -hmm. audience, facilitate method, help tell a story, and communicate the invisible dialogue, as I believe Henning Nelms called it.
1: It's really good. And this is what I love about what One Ahead has turned into like, we have some of the best advice in all of magic. And I say that as a magic nerd. I say that as someone who, like, my life is filled with magic almost every day. Um, we have some of the best advice out there. And this article is just the cherry on top. So, uh, to check out more of the guest posts, to check out all the interviews. Uh, my favorite was Ben Sidemen's. Uh I'm a little bit biased, but... Uh, go over to onehead.com, you can get more articles and all the interviews for free. Uh, so Real
0: quick before we move on. Well, not all the
1: articles, but...
0: I should quickly thank everyone who is a paid member because even though this article is free to read, it did cost money to write. We pay writers, so um, so yeah, so like yes. it, this article wouldn't exist and she wouldn't be sharing art, insights that she's studied. You know, she's like,
1: properly yeah. studied
0: these things. Um, we're able to pay like a fair rate for these articles because of the support of paid members. So a big shout out and yep. thank you to the people who decide that one ahead is what be paying here paying for because it is, it's great. It is. Um, yeah.
1: Uh, we might be a little bit biased, but you know, just a little bit. So, uh, so this kind of segues nicely into our next, uh, story. Um, I, I am a magic nerd. That's one reason you keep me around. Um, and part of that is I also love a good video essay. I love a good video essay. I love discourse. Um, and now we have a good video essay about magic.
0: Yeah. So this is a video we shared on one ahead from Jack Rhodes titled when, why, not when, why Penn and Teller are unusual
1: geniuses. Um, my God, it's a good video, isn't it? Oh, it's it's only nine minutes, but it's, it's not of the best minutes. Like I, I'm, just so good. It's so good. It's beyond. Um. So shout out to Jack. It's
0: beyond Netflix quality. Like this guy. Like I love him. He's such a lovely guy in real life, um, and on screen. But my God, it, you'd think it was edited by like a team of Netflix editors. It's like it, the transitions and everything. It, it's really,
1: really, really impressive. Oh yeah. And and the storytelling too. Like I, I think, uh, not to get too nerdy on video essays, but I love a video essay when there's a clear story and a clear dialogue. Happening throughout, instead of just random points. Mm. I think Jack did a really good job of going, "Hey, he, this is Penn and Teller. This is what makes them unusual. This is what makes them so great at what they do." And I, I think there is a lot of lessons to be learned in that video. Like, it's just so good. It's so good. Go watch it.
0: It's interesting because it, the video is about how they're kind of unusual geniuses. That's kind of the title of it. um A lot of it's about how they've broke the rules. You know how Teller doesn't speak. They'll reveal the secrets they'll piss off magicians this kind of stuff but to me and how
1: how they're not yeah
0: the main takeaway for me was just how consistent they are like they've been pretty much the same and obviously they've like you know they've got better at it whatever but like they've been performing consistently similar material with exactly the same brief exactly the same brand for, for, for like 30 years
1: Mm -hmm. And, like, beyond that, what's most impressive about Penn & Teller is the fact that their relationship is built off working together and not working as friends, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, their relationship is built off respect for the other person's creative work and not, oh, this is my buddy, um, which I think is important. Uh, I think that's really important to have is someone who can tell you, no, I don't like this idea, and you not be upset by it. Um, well, I've
0: always thought it was really interesting because one interesting element to having tell and not talk um, is it kind of makes them rely on each other in a really interesting way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, it it doesn't, it, it, you know, it kind of makes them feel like a left and right hand and not like to compete. A lot of times when you see double acts, it, it feels very much like they're like competing. for like, mm-hmm. There's this constant, you know, a lot of times when I see a double act, I'm like, I feel like they've really carefully worked out how to make sure they both have fifty percent of the script. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's, like, there's yeah. that kind of like balancing act, and it, you know, it, it's a bit different when it's like a uh, male and female double act because uh, then it kind of like has that a little bit kind of baked in. But yeah. I think there's something really interesting about Pen and Teller, One of them silent, they just it, they feel like they're meant to be together in a way, like or that they. It, there's kind of like a yin and yang. Like one person needs the other person. It wouldn't be the same without, without. You know, I just yeah. can't imagine seeing each of them individually. It's a very strange. It's a strange. And when one. I
1: do see them individually, I don't like it. Like I, I don't get me wrong. <laughs> Pinjulet's awesome. Teller's awesome. I love them both. But when I see Pin just out there doing his thing, I'm like, oh, it's. I, I need. I need Teller too. Like I this It's one of those needs. Um, but it's. But it's- I know for me. Go ahead. No, no,
0: I was just going to say it's so good because it's like Penn & Teller have managed to make their brand this thing where like if you love magic, you love Penn & Teller. If you hate magic, mm-hmm. you love Penn & Teller.
1: <laughs> you love Penn & Teller. Yeah. You know what I
0: mean? Like, like they break the rules. Truly the
1: bad boys of magic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's how they started. They started with – and Jack does a great like beginning – like. Uh, where he he shows them as the bad guys of Magic being kicked out of the Magic Circle. And, I mean, they weren't even in the Magic Circle, but being like banned for life or whatever. Because mm. um, they did their version of the Cups and Balls with clear cups, which is still one of my favorite Penn & Teller things, because it's so, so good.
0: Yeah, they're so good at knowing when when to reveal a method and when not, though. like, Obviously, it will upset everyone, but they're really good at... It's one of those weird things, I always think about this, because like, a method like that's great to reveal cause it's kind of more impressive than the trick in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. but then equally sometimes a really simple method is really fun to reveal as well. Like if you think about like a Richard Wiseman video, like, yeah. I think the thing that's so satisfying about when Richard Wiseman goes, this is how it's done is you go, Oh, how did I not think of that? That was so obvious. I, it was right in front of me mm-hmm. the whole time. um, there's kind of this like middle ground where it doesn't really make sense, but at the extremes where it's like, whoa, that was the method versus, oh my God, how did I not see that? Like they're kind of both as interesting to kind of give up and give in.
1: Yeah. Like takeoff is like such a great, uh, explanation of that where they move the boxes around and tellers always yeah. in the boxes. They move it around. Like I remember the first time I saw that and I was just like, yeah, I'm glad they revealed this. Cause like, it's not that uh, yes, it fooled me, but like I remember watching it as a kid and being like, That is so much more creative than I thought it was. Mm. And like I don't know. They're just so good at what they do. And they're the longest running show in Vegas. Oh are they? I didn't know that. Like Yeah. From from what they said on Jimmy, uh Jimmy Fallon. They're like longest running show. The other
0: thing they are is they that beat it sinatra. They're the best talk show guests. Because there were a bunch of talk show clips in this video with Jack that Jack made. Mm-hmm. And it just made me realize, like, no one else... And maybe it's because they outnumber the host or something, but, you know, a lot of times when you see a magician on a, on a late-night talk show, it just feels like maybe they don't want to be there, or maybe they feel, like, challenged. Or But Pan and Teller just seems to dance yeah. around it. Or even on Let- Letterman, who, like, famously hated mm-hmm. magicians, <laughs> like, <laughs> they sort of, like, danced around him. It's like, there's something kind of, like... Uh, there's something really disarming about a magician revealing the tricks because it kind of makes it it makes you realize that's not the point like they're trying to entertain you yeah. in more ways.
1: So so I've been talking about some of my favorite moments in Penn & Teller. What's your favorite Penn & Teller thing?
0: Uh I don't know. It's like a good question. I think I just remember watching the like infamous clip of Invisible uh, Clear Cups and Balls on Jonathan Ross. Mm-hmm. I used to love... Back when Jonathan Ross was on that channel, I used to watch it every single week. So I really loved that back in the day. Live, seeing them live the fish trick man my god it's just so exciting and captivating from every angle like the fact that you're kind of in on the trick at at the start Mm -hmm. it's like really disarming and then the way it just like it just keeps escalating and keeps getting better in a way that you just like don't suspect at all um i loved seeing him do the the ball the floating ball live but i was that was the most interesting one talking to people who had seen it with me afterwards. It was like a very mixed, mixed reviews. Mm -hmm. Um, Like one of my friends, the fact that Patton comes over and cuts the thread at the end, that kind of like punctured the whole effect. That was one of the things that really intrigued me when I saw Darren in America. You know, we went and saw Darren's off-Broadway thing and afterwards listening to people talk about, you know the show you know in the UK what works really well for Darren is he kind of tells you what he's doing even if he's lying it it makes you feel Mm -hmm. kind of smart as a UK audience but I remember you know it's probably not applicable to all the US audience but I remember listening into people afterwards saying well I don't get it like he told us how it was done like what's the point like (laughs) <laughs> um yeah you know i think it was like the in hand. they were like well he told us how he was doing it was based on the voice or whatever and it just didn't have this you know in the uk it's like there's something really exciting about the fact that he's telling us how it's done even though he's probably lying or whatever um it's just, yeah. it's, a, it's a strange one um but yeah, I mean, look, the, the video essay is absolutely worth watching. It's not something that we can do justice in a
1: podcast. No. <laughs> um, so just, at this point, we're just gushing over Jack Rhodes and Penn Teller. Oh, and he's um, great.
0: You should watch all of Jack's videos as well. It's been really interesting to see him like really, really good because it's, it's been a, a big journey and he, he's really uh, experimental with what he does and he merges magic and video production in a really interesting way. Um, the full video is available to watch at oneahead.com. Um, we're going to talk about David Blaine now.
1: Yep, but this this time it's not about any crazy antics. Uh, we actually had an article titled, Why David Blaine is the Best at This and How You Can Be Too.
0: Yeah, because David Blaine is the best in the world at making his magic feel completely improvised and unrehearsed. That engaging sense of danger and unease and not knowing what's happening next uh, captivates audiences and celebrities. Uh, alike, in a way that me reading that script did not.
1: You could you could tell that wasn't improvised. <laughs> it was obvious, yeah. right? Yes. Um, but like being unrehearsed is something that we are very well aware of with this particular episode of the podcast.
0: Yeah, that's very true. But Blaine is rehearsed, like half. <laughs> like what, this is what's so fascinating is that when you oh watch my his God. stuff on TV, you'll see he's cutting between multiple clips of the same performance, and you know he these aren't tricky. He's performing for the first time but it feels that way when you watch it. And I think I think it's one of the reasons why magicians get so kind of annoyed at him because, you know, a lot of the time, especially at the start of his career, he was just performing off-the-shelf tricks exactly as is. And because yep. he's so good at making things feel improvised and on the spot, it, 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 you can't necessarily tell the level of effort that goes into it, but clearly there is a mm-hmm. lot of effort that goes into what he's doing.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this is a paid post, correct? Correct. Because yeah, we talk about
0: what he does so well and why, but we also do, we, we basically break down three ways break it down. can do it too. So yeah. three very simple techniques that Blaine employs that makes his magic feel unrehearsed um, that are based around scripting, are based around eye contact yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, So it's paid in that sense. So,
1: yeah. So because it's paid, we're not going to get into all of it. But the one thing that, like, just drove my imagination was how David Blaine – and I, I've always known this, but after seeing you break it down, I was like, okay, you've now put the words to the thoughts I've had about his magic, and that's him using beats instead of scripting. Mm. Where, like, a lot of magicians – like, for me as a writer, my inclination is you can change an effect with how you present it and the words you put around it and all of that. But David, like you said, he uses beats. Where it, he doesn't have to say, oh, like, I don't know. It's just so hard to kind of put into words. And he, he's just able to make stuff, A, seem improvised. A, B, makes it seem like it's the first time it's happening. And, like, it just makes it feel like a once-in-a-lifetime experience scene, David Blank. It's playing. because he's
0: not learning like, a he script. Will... He's learning beats. He's rehearsing and, and walking through beats. Yeah, so he's going, I need to do this, then this, then this. He's not going, this is the sentence I'm going to say. You know, if you watch Wayne perform the same trick multiple times, you'll see he's hitting those same beats. He's the important things. he, He has to definitely clarify this. He has to make sure that this happens. He has to make sure he points here and does this and walks there and hands them this. But the wording will change slightly each time instead of saying, are you sure? The next time he'll say that's definitely the one you want. But what's what mm-hmm. you'll notice as you're watching it is he's still hitting that same beat. He knows, I have to hit that beat where I confirm their choice and tell them they could change their mind. But he's not saying, for the thousandth time... Uh, this is the last time to change your mind, you're going to regret it if you don't. You know what I mean? Like that kind of like corny, yeah. rehearsed, said a thousand times line. But he's he knows that's a beat he has to hit. And that's what I think is exciting about it. And it tricks him into being more present because he's not just walking through a script he said a hundred times. He's navigating this thing and, and, and having to like make it slightly different each time. Just It's forced upon him. It's not a choice for him. He has to do
1: that yeah and I think I think that's the great thing about david though, and it's a lesson that you can take not just in magic but just in life. he really knows how to trim the fat away from stuff where like he just leaves you with the best parts mm. and whether it's his t v shows, whether it's his interviews, it doesn't matter when David is doing anything he he cuts out all the stuff that he's not interested in and he and you can tell that you can tell when he's interested in something how excited like. I don't know. Like the Hot Ones interview is one of my favorite things that he's ever done oh, because so in this whole, t- yeah, and you can tell that like, he was so excited about being there, and he just has this presence, this aura around him, where like he just cuts out all the fat, like he gets down to the brass tacks and lets you know what he's thinking. He's just there in the room with you, and it's like. I don't know. David's the best. Yeah. His team's the best. And you think
0: about eye contact. He's so attentive. You watch him performing. He is mm-hmm. laser focused on the spectator. He's reacting to them. He's watching what they're doing. He's mo- it almost feels like he's moving around them and giving them like that primary focus in the room. And that's another thing mm-hmm. that tricks him into feeling very present. Because half the time when you see a magician get a spectator on stage you're thinking, well, this would be exactly the same without them on stage. <laughs> like, or it's like whenever you watch Blaine perform, yeah. it just feels so unique and different. And you feel like if anyone else was on stage with him or in this scene with him in a, in a mm-hmm. TV show, it would feel wildly different because he's, he's comfortable enough to react to his spectators and let them guide him a little bit and give them the space to be themselves. Um, in ways that a lot of magicians are afraid to do because they'd rather go through their rehearsed lines and they'd rather the spectator only talk Mm -hmm. when they ask them a question that they've rehearsed possible reactions to kind of thing.
1: Yeah, which, I mean, it goes back to this thing that I've talked about uh, a few times and it's that entertainment does not just mean laughter, right? So, like, a lot of magicians, they use those corny jokes. They, They feel like if the audience isn't laughing, they're doing something wrong versus Blaine is just out there and he wants you to experience as much wonder as possible. Like, like go back and watch his early uh, Street Magic specials. There's one where he's uh, with this young man at a trailer park. Puts a coin on his hand, and it just vanishes off his hand. Mm. And the kid does not does not give a huge reaction. He just looks up and go, cool. Like, but you can tell that's a very internal reaction. And, like, David does that to celebrities all the time. Like, him doing the mind-reading bit with Margot Robbie is one of the most viewed clips he has. And A, I think it's because you can see how Margot's reacting to the mind reading and how internalized her reaction is and how it's spilling over to her external reaction. And David plays with that really, really well, and he can pull reactions out of people. Um, and yeah, you just don't see performers like that very often be able to do that. Like,
0: Yeah, you're right in a way, because when you, when Blaine's performing, that you never feel like a need to satisfy his ego. You never feel like you have to applaud him. Or be like, you know, like, which, you know, I worked with Lucha May years and years ago, and I always remember literally May being like, applause isn't a good reaction to magic. <laughs> or or I can't remember what it, how he said it or what it was, but his basic thing was, like, yeah, actually, it's... if you do a really good trick, you, you want silence to fall across the audience, yeah. or gasps or something. Like, uh, people applauding is, it's a very rehearsed, learned behavior. And he was saying, you want that kind of like, yeah, impulse, reaction, and applause isn't always the kind of reaction you're looking for. Um, yeah, I always, I, I always laugh in my head because like, it's like it's like it's a funny thing to say as a as like a stage performer of being like, oh, you you don't want applause, kind of thing. Obviously, now and then you do, and you want them with like your applause cues and stuff. I always loved, you know, the amount of effort that people like Copperfield go to to get a standing ovation every night. You know, there's lots mm-hmm. of tricks that people do. I actually think it was like a Darren show where they just randomly added confetti at the end of the show to uh, enhance the chances of a standing ovation, kind of thing. Like, mm. it's 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 good to end on that for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. being like present in that way and engaged in that way is definitely something that that Blaine is the best at, and I think it's a thing that most magicians you know most magicians don't really think about especially as magicians who are performing uh, at smaller events um those kind of everyday working magicians i think it can be very quickly you can get to the point where it it feels like you're performing something that's been performed before and you know there's no worse feeling than watching anyone perform if it's a comedian dancer ventriloquist whatever there's no worse feeling than watching yep. someone and being like I feel like I'm watching the rehearse in their bedroom because it, 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 we don't need to be here right now they're just doing their like yeah. thing
1: yeah those like and, and the biggest tell like telling sign of that is when you have all those like I I don't mean to be mean on this but it's just one of my pet peeves when I work with magicians there's little hack lines of hold out your hand no the clean one it's like <laughs> Like, I just, I hate those so much, and, like, so many magicians have learned that that's the good thing to do, and it's it's not, I, I promise, be more like David Blaine. Be less like a a like a magician from the 80s. Mm. Like, it's just not good.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting, those lines. Um, it always amazes me. I always wonder, like, you know, you'll see, like, a 10-year-old doing a trick, and they'll say one of those, like, lines. And you're like, how do you low know that line? <laughs> like, <laughs> do you learn it from watching other magicians, then you take them, they're kind of like, I don't know, it's like what I see the other day. I saw, I saw a clip where someone said, How did you do that? And immediately the magician said, Very well. Oh, God. Which is a good No. Which is, and, and it's, I think what struck me about the clip, and I feel really bad because I'm going to find out that it was like a friend of mine that I watched. It's like, I really don't, I really don't (laughs) mind that line if, mm, maybe I do. I was like, I I wouldn't, I I wouldn't mind it if it felt improvised, but it never does. It always feels like a prepared
1: thing. Yes. Well, it's kind of the difference between seeing a, because I I used to go to watch stand up comedy all the time when I was in college. Uh, And you could tell when someone had rehearsed line for hecklers and when someone was just handling the heckler, like off the cuff. Mm. And when the, and like there's just a noticeable quality of difference, and to me it feels the same way with some of these magic tricks, and like that David Blaine doesn't do any of those lines because he doesn't have to, because, I mean, the the way he's present, the way he uses the beat, the way he doesn't have to have these stock lines and funny, because like it, there's a time and place for like a pitch style of magic where you're trying to pitch the Simgali deck, but like most magic, (laughs) it feels like. (laughs) <laughs> I never really thought about that. So
0: you're so right. That is a great comparison.
1: It does feel the exact same way. And just yeah, like, like most I, most magic presentations <laughs> like most magic presentations that I see when someone asks me for help, it, it feels like all they're ending is and you can buy this trick too for nine ninety nine. It's like I just I don't know.
0: But it's so funny though, because it <sighs> takes It's a sensitive topic. It's it, you know because it. it It ends up being like a sport, because it's basically like, how do you not perform a trick 300 times without it feeling honed in and similar by the end? And a lot of comedians work on this because, you know, the job of a comedian is to hone in your set over time, but then your job becomes making it feel improvised. You know, I'm always amazed at how many people see a comedian and don't realise that every single word and the rhythm and everything have been, like, rehearsed to death. It's, It's... and yeah, it's, just, it's, it's it's an interesting one. My advice, uh, you know, there are three really good pieces of advice in this, in this David Blaine article, but I do think that like, you just need to change something every time you perform the trick, um, do a trick you normally do with one person to two people, stand in a different place, um, use a different deck of cards, uh, change your force, you know, and it's the kind of stuff where working magicians will be like, well, I don't need to do that. I'm, you know. I'm ticking the boxes and getting the reaction, but if you want to, I think that's the secret way of doing it. Is you just make mm-hmm. one small change, and it will throw throw everything. You'll just you'll suddenly be more present. Even if you just know that halfway through it, you have to do one thing differently. Um, it's also why I think a lot. There are some tricks like, you know, angle zero. Whenever I see magicians do that, it feels electric. And it's because they've normally had to figure out where they're going to hide this corner. And and so there's, just, <clears throat> yeah. there's one element of it that feels rehearsed or improvised or new, and that's what's kind of exciting about it. Um, it it's interesting. Also, my God, you know what? I, this is such a weird thing, but the first time I ever saw anyone using a stacked deck was a video of Doug McKenzie, and it was like 20 years ago, and it's just <laughs> such an, a brilliant... Doug McKenzie is incredible, and he's always he's ten years ahead of the curve. And but I remember watching it, and I, I didn't know at that time that it was a stacked deck, and I feel weird saying that it was now. But my god, it, it, he was so present, and it was because he's having to use his brain and like react yeah. and be responsive and improvise. You know, he, people who use stacked decks are basically kind of improvising. And mm-hmm. you can feel mm-hmm. it. It feels electric. It feels like they're making it up as they go along. It feels like they don't know what's going to happen next. Um I don't want to watch yeah, a magic trick but... and think the magician has does the same trick every time. I want it to feel completely unique. I want it to feel like the spectator has chosen where the cards going to end up or has made decisions that have altered the trick beyond just choosing a deck from a, a card from their deck. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah yeah um and one last thing like to talk about stack decks i started learning a stack back during the pandemic and i can earnestly say that my card magic looks and feels totally different like even when i'm not using a stack deck anymore even if i'm out of stack like there's just lessons to be learned there on how to improvise and how to make decisions on the fly that i just yeah so go learn uh a uh, stack. I recommend the Redford stack
0: and when you're done learning the stack you can read this article about David Blaine at oneahead.com <laughs> along with everything we've talked about today and a bunch of articles that we didn't talk about because we publish like oh, so many articles. articles a week now um, so many articles so it's a, so it's a good one Um, There you go. This has been our first episode since I had food poisoning and the first episode that we've had to try recording multiple (laughs) times due to fire alarms and technical issues and power going out in buildings. Um, But but we did it, man. (laughs) We
1: We made it. We made it. Um,
0: Do you want to tell us one more time about this little lecture you're doing? I shouldn't say little, this big, sexy lecture that you're doing.
1: it is. Because, like... I don't. I know who's locked into it, and I'm going to be announcing all that stuff later on my Instagram. So go follow me on my Instagram. I'm sh- and I'm also going to be publishing some more details on one ahead next week so what, about it. What's the deal? Um,
0: so wait, so because you, uh, so it's, it's a workshop. It's, it's a, a whole
1: workshop. It's a whole day event. It's a whole day event. I'm part of the lecture, obviously, but uh, Timon Krause is there. Paul Brooke is locked in. Jonathan Levitt's locked in. It's a whole workshop. Um, so like, I'm really honored and beyond. Uh, humbled that the magic community is really rallying behind me so how many uh, th- more th- information uh i don't know uh, as many as uh will allow i guess okay. interesting uh, well i'm excited man um yeah uh, well, i'll sh- be in also what's your instagram there's gonna be lecture notes uh at nathan underscore himself you can go follow me there and i'll be posting more info later this week Um, But yeah, uh, my lecture particularly is going to be about uh, my award-winning process on creating magic for theatrical environments um, and how I've kind of uh, done that. And also uh, my Ten Commandments on being a good creative partner. So um, hopefully there's some stuff there that will be useful. You are a great creative partner. Oh, thank you. All right, I think it's time for the readout. Are we ready for the new readout? Thank God,
0: let's do it. We we did it, man. We made. This feels like we've, we've crossed the finish line. Read us
1: out. This episode of the One Ahead podcast has been written, produced, and hosted by Rory Adams and Nathan Wilson. Hey, that's me. To keep up with all the latest magic news and insights, go to oneahead.com. <sighs> <laughs> uh you don't know this just because like it's Kentucky and it's the middle of summer but I am drenched in sweat. <laughs>